EM Guidewire, hard-hitting emergency medicine from Carolina's Medical Center. Welcome back, everyone, to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the residents and faculty from Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Coming to you again from the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studio, we're again joined this episode by one of our former superstar chief residents, Dr. Rushnell. Now, she's going to cover a very challenging topic. We are all familiar with the concept of tension pneumothorax, but what about tension pneumoperitoneum? At the beginning of the conversation and case discussion, Dr. Rushnell does mention a review guide that I bet many of you have used. To avoid any legal quagmires, we're going to just add a little bleep in there if you don't mind. But don't worry, I don't believe it will interfere with the educational value of this conversation. It is a very challenging concept and condition. So without further ado, take it away, Dr. Rushnell. Hello, and welcome to Chief's Corner, where the chiefs of Carolina's Medical Center break off a morsel of knowledge for your learning pleasure. My name is Dr. Rushnell, and I am one of the chiefs here at CMC. So for our case today, imagine that we are in a rural emergency department and a patient is arriving by medic. Medic tells you the patient is hypotensive, tachycardic, and altered. On exam, the patient has a firm and distended abdomen, and further information from the family reveals that the patient has a history of peptic ulcer disease. This morning, the patient started complaining of severe epigastric pain before becoming altered about 30 minutes to an hour later. You start this patient on fluids, call for a bedside KUB, which ends up showing an extensive amount of air under the diaphragm with medial displacement of both the liver and the spleen. This is one of those classic uh, question stems that you've probably seen a million times on review. And if review has taught you nothing else, it's that the answer to this question is B, gastric perforation. Nailed it. However, in life, it's not always as cut and dry as those review questions. While this patient does indeed have a gastric perforation, this patient is sick and unstable, and there's a little bit more than a small hole going on here. This patient has actually developed tension pneumoperitoneum, which is basically an extreme version of abdominal compartment syndrome that devolves into tension physiology. Let's quickly review what abdominal compartment syndrome is and the physiology that causes this cascade of effects. It starts first with increasing intra-abdominal pressure. This results in three real main physiological changes. One is this increased intra-abdominal pressure causes a decrease in abdominal perfusion, which in turn causes a decrease in blood flow to the kidneys, gut, and liver. Second, you get a decrease in preload to the heart, which causes a decrease in cardiac output. This decrease in cardiac output, in addition to the elevated intra-abdominal pressure, further decreases abdominal perfusion. Lastly, the increase in abdominal pressure causes a decreased thoracic volume, which can cause atelectasis and ultimately ARDS if left unchecked. All of these factors end up combining to cause multi-system organ failure in these patients. Abdominal compartment syndrome is really more of a spectrum of pressures that start with abdominal hypertension and then progress up. There's actually different stages that you can look up, but probably isn't really necessary for the ER usage. So abdominal hypertension is when your pressure is greater than 12. And what you need to know is intra-abdominal compartment syndrome starts when the pressure is greater than 20 millimeters of mercury. 
Now, mortality in these patients is shockingly high and can range anywhere from 40 to 100% in some studies. Now, part of this is due to the other factors that are causing the patient to have abdominal compartment syndrome, but this is not a benign increase in pressure. The most common way of checking intra-abdominal pressure is by doing an intravesticular catheter, also known as a pressure-sensing Foley, which your nurses should be able to find for you. Abdominal compartment syndrome can also be caused by a variety of different things, but it's frequently seen in trauma patients due to blood loss in the abdomen, as well as aggressive fluid resuscitation in our burn patients, our transplant patients, patients that are status post-abdominal surgery, as well as retroperitoneal conditions like a ruptured AAA or pancreatitis, and it can also be seen in sepsis due to just extensive third spacing. These causes, however, rarely lead to the tension physiology that was seen in our patient from the case. Because if you think about it, all of those physiologies are really slow and a more gradual increase in the abdominal pressure. While significantly less common, the tension pneumoperitoneum can be deadly if not recognized quickly. Around 80 to 90% of the cases in literature that are written about tension pneumoperitoneum are secondary to surgical complication. So think a patient had an EGD and had a biopsy, that resulted in a rupture and then a rapid increase in air. The remainder of the cases, about that 10 to 20%, were due to spontaneous tension physiology, which most likely were from barotrauma. So this could be after a patient gets intubated and maybe you stuck the tube in the goose and you end up bagging the belly for a couple of times. Or if the patient's getting BVM that's very aggressive, this can actually cause that rupture and that tension physiology. Now, the most common treatment for abdominal compartment syndrome is basically to take him to the OR to open up the belly and to relieve that pressure. A review of literature shows that um, about 55% of um, patients with abdominal compartment syndrome, which remember is different than tension pneumoperitoneum, require uh, surgery alone, and about 23% had both percutaneous uh, temporizing measures done and then an XLAP later. So depending on the degree of the compartment syndrome, consideration may be given to non-surgical treatment, which would be NG tube to decompress the abdomen, supportive care, like potentially diuresis, and potentially percutaneous drainage with a pigtail catheter. Now, all the patients that come into the ED, whether they have abdominal compartment syndrome or you're concerned that maybe they have this tension pneumoperitoneum, should at the very least have that NG tube placed and supportive care. If you have a patient with tension pneumoperitoneum and you're at a shop that has an in-house surgeon, then goal is basically get into the OR as quickly as humanly possible to try to decompress that belly and to return adequate blood supply to the organs. Now, the real question is, and what we are kind of dealing with in this case, is if you're in a small rural emergency department and you don't have a surgeon immediately available, what should you do? What kind of temporizing measures as an emergency department physician can we do? A review of literature shows case study level evidence that decompressing the abdomen percutaneously in the emergency department and transferring the patient to somewhere with surgical capabilities may be beneficial. Much like a tension pneumothorax, this physiology can result in rapid progression to death if not treated emergently in at least a temporizing fashion. So trying to percutaneously drain this before transferring, this might at least buy the patient time to get to your tertiary referral center. A case study in the Internal Journal of Surgery looked at abdominal compartment syndrome secondary to endoscopic mucosal resection that was successfully decompressed percutaneously using a pigtail catheter. There was another case report in 2018 that treated this tension pneumoperitoneum with a 14 French IV cannula that they basically just jammed into the belly button to decompress the abdomen. 
another case study from 2018 where the pa- a patient developed tension pneumoperitoneum after bystander CPR ended up having decompression with a Varesi needle. This is a small needle that's used in the operating room to inflate the abdomen for laparoscopic surgery. And pretty much any hospital that has laparoscopic capabilities should have one of these needles in the OR. Since emergency medicine physicians are probably the most facile with pigtail catheters out of all of those above options, we feel like the easiest approach would be to just place a pigtail catheter in the right upper quadrant or immediately super umbilical. We recommend looking at your patient's KUB to determine the best site for placement. And remember, this is just a temporizing measure, and all of these patients are ultimately going to need an XLAP. So any possible complications, such as injury to the bowel or anything else like that, that happened on placement of the pigtail catheter can be repaired at this point. If you do have to emergently decompress the abdomen via pigtail catheter, it is recommended that you pre-treat the patient with 2 amps of sodium bicarb as well as 50 grams of mannitol. This helps to prevent massive fluid shifts and acute worsening of acidosis that can be seen due to reperfusion of the ischemic intra-abdominal organs. Well, thanks for joining us today on Chief's Corner. I hope you learned a little, and please let us know if you have any feedback on today's episode. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! Seems he out. Hopefully this is working, or this won't be a massive waste of my time.